BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you, and so glad to be with you. There is a lot going on. We're going to be talking about the new rules for dictators. In fact, James Risen is going to drop by. Journalist with The Intercept, formerly wrote for The New York Times, The L.A. Times. President Obama spent two years trying to put Risen in jail, and now he's speaking out against Trump, saying... The situation's become even worse. We'll get to that. There's a fascinating conversation over at Raw Story, an article. It's by a professor of political studies and history at Queen's University in Ontario, Bruce Berman. His co-author is Daniel Levine, professor emeritus at the University of Michigan. And the headline, and this is very thought-provoking, and it raises a whole bunch of questions. And the title, the GOP has become the greatest threat to American democracy since the Civil War. They're not engaging in hyperbole. I mean, they're not, they're not making this stuff up, and they're not saying it to, to, you know, play chicken little or anything like that. This is a serious political and social analysis by serious political scientists, a couple of professors, one Canadian, one in the United States. And they point out that the transformation of the, of the Republican Party, you know, from the party of Eisenhower, the party of even, you could say, Harding, Coolidge, and Hoover, Herbert Hoover was not quite as crazy as the rest of them. In fact, Franklin Roosevelt brought him into his administration. But that party, that Republican Party that my dad used to be a member of back in the, in the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, that Republican Party went away with Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon committed treason in 1968 to become president. You know, this is now common knowledge. You've heard the clip a million times of LBJ talking to Everett Dirksen saying, you know, Everett, this is treason. And he was right. So Nixon committed treason in 68 to become president. And then he put into place his Southern strategy to get himself reelected in 72. And that Southern strategy was to point out that three years earlier, in 1965, Democrats, Lyndon Johnson and Hubert Humphrey, Democrats had passed the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, which were specifically designed to protect the rights of minorities in the United States, to protect their voting rights, their political rights, and their political power. And of course, the South is, is the epicenter of virulent white nationalism, white racism, white supremacy, white rage. When Nixon declared the Southern strategy, the South was largely Democratic because up until the election of John Kennedy, you know, the Democrats had gone along with whole uh, separate but equal thing and uh, segregation. And I mean, both parties had been going along with this. But the Democrats in the South were particularly enthusiastic about it. And in fact, the Democratic Party had been the party of slavery. I mean, it was started by Thomas Jefferson, the Democratic Republican Party. And so, man, it's kind of gone back and forth over the years. And, you know, solidly since the 1930s, the Democratic Party in the United States has been the party of working people, average people. And Nixon was like, hey, there's a pickup here. We'll just reach out to the racists. We have to do it in coded language. We have to talk about forced busing and stuff like that. But they all know what we're talking about. You know, these people are, you know, they're very, very conscious of this. So it started there. And then the destruction of regulations, like, for example, Gramm-Leach-Bliley, you know, passing the House and Senate. It was uh, introduced in the Senate by Phil Graham. And Gramm-Leach-Bliley blew up a whole bunch of things. But, but, you know, basically it blew up the ability 
of the federal government to regulate banks. This is Glass-Steagall, the old Glass-Steagall law. And keep investment banks and commercial banks, in other words, banks that deal in the stock market and banks that have your checkbook, as completely separate entities. They had to be separate entities up until 98 or 99 when Graham Leach Blatley was passed. So this kind of deregulation, plus packing the courts with reliably conservative justices, a word that has come to mean corporatist judges, and we're going to get to that, by the way, in the five white guys in the Democratic Party in the House who are going after Nancy Pelosi in a little bit. The so-called fiscal conservatism. When somebody says, I'm a fiscal conservative, what that means is that they are there with Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan saying basically, quote, social welfare programs are really just vehicles for distributing tax money from white people to poor black people through welfare programs. That's how they were characterized by Nixon. That's how they were characterized by Reagan. That's how they were characterized by Bush, both Bushes, and certainly that's how they're characterized by Trump. And so really, when somebody says they're, quote, fiscal conservative, that's what they're saying. You know, no social programs for black people. And a lot of these people don't realize that the majority of recipients of social programs, the majority of people on food stamps in the United States, the majority of people who get, you know, Title X housing, Title IX housing, the majority of people in the United States who use public transportation, majority of people in the United States who are Medicaid recipients, health care for the poor, are white. But it doesn't matter if they can damage black people. This goes back to Lyndon Johnson's old saying when he was, and he was specifically talking about Richard Nixon's Southern strategy. And Lyndon Johnson said words to the effect of, and I'm sorry I don't have the quote in front of me, but it's easy enough to Google it. And, and it's been taken out of context by Republicans and pushed as a meme into black communities and black red websites as if Johnson was bragging that he could do this. But he was talking about Nixon. And what he said was, if you can convince the lowest white man that he's better than the highest black man, then he'll let you pick his pocket every day, which is exactly what the Republicans have been doing. They've, you know, the South has gotten poorer and poorer and poorer. Republican-controlled states have gotten poorer and poorer and poorer. We talked yesterday about how this is setting up the next great crash, which might be starting today. The Dow is down almost 2%. We've wiped out all the gains of the previous year. Donald Trump, and he, of course, he's going to blame it on the Democrats. So we've gutted our infrastructure since Reagan. We haven't had any consequential construction or repair of roads and bridges and water supplies and septic systems and electric power grids. You know, it's been you know, a little scattershot here and there, paid for by local communities. But the federal government used to support this stuff. This was gutted by Reagan. Labor policies gutted by Reagan. A third of America we had a union shop when Reagan was elected, which meant two-thirds of America had the equivalent of a union job because the union jobs set the wage floor and the benefit floor. Now it's down to 6% of American workers. So 12% of American workers have a decent job. More than half of American workers can't sustain a $1,000 debt. It'll wipe them out, throw them into bankruptcy. And 80% of American workers now are living paycheck to paycheck. This was very much not the case before Reaganomics, well, and which sort of started with Nixon. Nixon started the racial piece of it. Reagan started the economic piece of it. And so now the United States has literally the lowest minimum wage among all the advanced countries of the world, the 34 OECD countries. We literally have the lowest minimum wage in the developed world because of this fiscal conservatism. And what's that doing? It's, it's you know, on top of $2 trillion now in student debt, which by law can't be discharged. On top of that, you've got, you know, and you can thank the Republicans for that, and a few complicit Democrats, Joe Biden was one of them, uh, unfortunately. You've got $2 trillion of student debt, and you've got this enormous in economic insecurity. You know, people are scared to death, particularly in rural areas. Paul Krugman's writing about this in today's New York Times, that people living in rural areas are very much in an economic crisis right now. And what does Trump say to them? Blame the black people. Blame the Hispanics. Blame the immigrants. Blame anybody except the rich white billionaires who have been picking your pockets and passing laws that make it harder for you to get a decent paying job. So in this regard, these political scientists are saying that this is actually a threat to American democracy. And on top of that, they're suppressing the vote. 
Rachel Maddow last night was talking about how, you know, in state after state after state, uh, a majority, in some cases, a six, eight, nine point majority of people voted for Democrats for the state house and the state Senate. And yet the state house and the state Senate are still controlled by Republicans because of internal gerrymandering within the states. It continues, and I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into this a little bit more, and then I'm gonna get into this whole thing about what's going on with this challenge to Nancy Pelosi because it's a piece of this. It really is. It's a piece of this whole neoliberal thing. Richard in Gandyville, West Virginia. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind? Thank you for watching Free Speech TV. You're quite welcome, Tom. I was living in a small town in Florida in '72, and I adored George McGovern. So I volunteered to be on his re-election group there in this little town. But what really happened, it was not only the racism. At that time also, if you remember, uh, George McGovern said, let's get out of Vietnam. The, right. the heck with it. It's lost. And Nixon had a secret plan where we're still going to win. Yeah, this is the election and of 72 you're talking military about. Town, that went over because... They all felt, they knew that we were losing in Vietnam, and they hated that. Yeah, they believed Nixon's lie. I mean, Nixon lied for the election of 72 about ending the war in Vietnam after he had blown up the end of the war in 68. He lied about that the same way that Donald Trump lied about how he was going to stop stupid wars, no more engage in stupid wars, and get us out of Afghanistan and, and uh, Iraq right away. I mean, they both lied for the same reason, to get elected. And Americans and, and other people I, died as a consequence of their lies. Back to you, Richard. But I see that with the Democratic Party today. They are afraid to say, hey, Afghanistan, it's a lost cause. Let's get out of there. Yeah. And everything is just dragging on. But in 1972, like I said, I adore George McGovern because he was absolute truth. Everything the man said. Yeah, he was, was a good man and a war hero, by the way. From World War II. I think, uh, I think Nixon had spent World War II. He was in the Navy, but he spent more time playing poker in the wardroom than anything else, as far as I have heard. Yeah, no, I don't think but Nixon I, was involved I, I, in any combat operations, but I don't, frankly, know that for a fact. But the Democratic Party got smeared as the party of losers, hippies, peaceniks, yeah. integrationists. And to this day, that little town in Florida that I was living in that used to be, back in the day, 60, 70 percent Democratic, is now like 90 percent Republican. Right. And, and they all watch Fox News. It's a self-reinforcing cycle. By the way, you know how Richard Nixon got his first gig as a congressman from California? No. There was in Orange County, ironically enough, there was a politically active group of very, very wealthy men. They were all men you know, business people, and they wanted to field a candidate who would represent their interests. And so they put an ad in the paper that said, veteran wanted to run for Congress. Uh -huh. And Richard Nixon answered the ad. They interviewed him. They said, this is our guy. They put a bunch of money behind him, and that's how he got into Congress. He literally answered a help wanted ad. It's incredible. That's that his character. Yeah, it's just incredible. Anyhow, Richard, you know, how history gets turned, right, by little tiny things. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile and internet provider now that the Republicans have destroyed net neutrality. That's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Tom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Tom to learn more. I want to finish up this rant about how the Republican Party has actually become a threat to democracy itself in the United States, to the institution of democracy in the United States. Um, 
the 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 rhetoric that they're using now that the party has embraced it, it it's not i mean trump is just a crude version of richard nixon and of ronald reagan richard nixon's you know said it in code you know uh well I, a lot of people don't think that forced busing is a good idea and and uh, quotas, I'm not sure quotas are, are really uh, the thing that America was founded on, you know, and, and stuff like that, you know. And, and, then, and then Reagan, uh, you know, upped the ante, he, uh, although he had the actor's skills that, that Richard Nixon lacked. But Reagan was every bit as corrupt as Nixon. He also committed treason to get into office, cutting a deal with the Iranians to hold the hostages to destroy Jimmy Carter politically. Um, and, then, and then once he got in, he basically did the same thing Nixon did. His, I mean, his first speech when he was running for political office was was uh, in Philadelphia, Mississippi, or near uh, the Nebosha. Nebosha. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it's the county fair, Nebosha County Fair, uh, which is right down the road from from uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi, which is right in the middle of the or in the area where where uh, Cheney and Schwermer and uh, Goodman, I believe, were the names of the three civil rights workers who were murdered, brutally tortured and murdered down there. Uh, I mean, they made the, the movie Mississippi Burning about this. And so, you know, this language, although Trump is saying it like out loud using, you know, actual words like, oh, look at my black person over there, uh, you know, or, or, or uh, you know, yeah, they're rapists or they're thieves or they're the scum or they're this, you know, the asshole countries and all, always being countries where that are, you know, majority people of color, those kind of things. He's saying it in ways that white guys in, in rural areas talk in bars. And that's why they love him. But he's saying the same thing that the Republican Party has been saying since Richard Nixon basically took it over in, in the 60s. And this is fundamentally antithetical, that is opposite to, in opposition to, destructive of the values that were first expressed in the Declaration of Independence through the Constitution and throughout the years in the United States and have, you know, with every generation gotten a little bit better until recently. Those values, those egalitarian values, those small d democratic values, those small r Republican values. Racial hatred, racial animus, which has become the animating instinct of the Republican Party, we now know, uh, you know, is, is just in, insanely destructive to democracy. Because democracy means we all live together, work together, figure stuff out together. But when racial hatred comes into it, it tears us apart. And that's not a good thing for democracies. One of the things that we know from the research that was done after the election, you had probably six months there where the media was all going, oh, it's these white guys in the rural areas who put Trump over the top. And they did it because they're economically insecure. Well, yeah, they're economically insecure. 80% of Americans are economically insecure, living paycheck to paycheck and living with debt. 80% of Americans. But that's not why they voted for Trump. The majority of them voted for Trump, it turns out, because he wasn't a woman. And because he wasn't part of the Democratic Party that has been working for minority rights, including minority voting rights. So these guys point out in their article that, you know, from 1919 to 1939, the rise of fascism all around the world came with exactly this kind of rhetoric. It came during a time of economic crisis, a time of growing inequality and a time of economic insecurity among the working class. And how did Mussolini, Stalin, Franco in Spain and obviously Hitler in Germany. How did these guys, you know, how did they language this? They said, hey, your economic crisis is being caused by racial and ethnic minorities, including Jews, migrants, women, and sexual minorities. And because these people are all struggling for equal rights, right? And that's what's causing your problems, they said. And we're seeing that all over again, including the Jews part you know, with all the anti-George Soros stuff. And now we find that Facebook hires a PR firm to blame things on George Soros. Are you kidding me? And in addition to this, the, and, you know, this is part of their argument for why the Republican Party is the most destructive force in America right now when it comes to destroying the institutions of democracy itself. They have created a fake news media world now, you know, on this program, I've been doing this program for 15 years, 
And on this program, if I say something that is not true, and somebody informs me of that, whether it's by Twitter or email, or they call into the show and they say, Tom, you were wrong about that. I will look it up. I will correct it. I will apologize if I was wrong. And I, you know, it happens about once a month, and it's usually some statistic I got wrong or something like that. But you know, I'm committed to the truth. I, I believe that you cannot have a functioning society if there's not a consensus about what's true. And so on the other side, on the Republican side, you've got a bunch of billionaires running the show and, and a bunch of corporations who are aligned with these billionaires whose only goal is to acquire more money. They have hoarding syndrome. If they weren't rich, they would be living in apartments with newspapers to the ceiling and, and hundreds of empty cat food cans. But instead, because, you know, they're doing the same thing with money. It's Scrooge McDuck and his money bin. I mean, that's a pathology. Walt Disney captured that pathology. And these people control the Republican Party, and they control a very small part of the Democratic Party, which I'm going to get to in the second hour. And they're saying to these people, you know, you will privatize Social Security because we want our big banks to make the trillion dollars a year in profit that they could make if they handled all that money, the two and a half trillion dollars in the Social Security Trust Fund. They'll make, well, maybe hundreds of billions in profits they'd make. You will privatize Social Security. You will do away with Medicare and Medicaid because we don't want to be paying taxes to support poor people and working people. Screw them. That's what they're saying to their Republicans. And you are not going to talk about climate change, even though it's destroying the United States. The fires in California, the hurricanes in, in, in Florida and, and Puerto Rico and Texas, the hurricanes, the tornadoes that are ripping across the Midwest, mile-wide tornadoes across Oklahoma last year, never before seen. Oh, you can't discuss that. And even the media is not doing this. There's a great piece over on Media Matters, I believe it is, about how the national media in covering the wildfires in California is completely avoiding any reference to climate change. Why? Well, because oil companies, fossil fuel industry, advertise on their television networks. And these giant corporations are part of this. So here you have this media world that is promoting fake news, I mean literally fake news, stuff that is not true, that comes out of the mouth of Donald Trump and comes out of the mouth of the Republican Party. There's no such thing as global warming. And, you know, and all this kind of stuff. They're literally promoting fake news while calling real news fake news. The guys in the right wing hate radio programs, you listen to these things, they literally can't get through an hour without some sort of liar deception because they can't just come out and say, we're just here for the billionaires and you have to vote in a way that will help the billionaires. They can't say that. So instead, they make stuff up or they scapegoat minorities and say, oh, that's that's the problem. And when it's got nothing to do with it. So the bottom line here is Trump has now fully implemented this agenda that Reagan tried to do and got the economic part of it, but not the regulatory part of it. George W. Bush got some of the regulations, but mostly he was up to his eyeballs in the war that he always wanted to have. That his brother you know, with the uh, Project for New American Century signed off on in 1998 when they begged Bill Clinton to invade Iraq. But now Trump is doing it, this massive deregulation, these huge, you know, $5 trillion over the next decade of worth of tax cuts for the rich, $1.5 trillion just in the first year, which is bringing the economy to its knees. You just watch. And what happens as more and more and more Americans are living paycheck to paycheck? More and more and more of these Republicans are coming out and saying just right up front, right out loud on Fox News and on right wing hate radio. And sometimes it even bleeds through into the media, particularly when the president echoes it. They're saying to working class people, particularly working class white people, this isn't your fault. This is the fault of those minorities. This is the fault of Jews like George Soros. This is the fault of the Democratic Party because they talk about welfare like Social Security. That's what's going on. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And then on top of all this, this hate speech is leading to mail bombs and synagogue massacres while Trump is toadying up to right-wing dictators around the world. Tom Hartman here with you. I've been talking about this uh, conversation, this piece uh, by these two political scientists, one from uh, Canada, one from the United States, 
uh, in which they are asserting in their headline uh, over at Raw Story, the GOP has become the greatest threat to American democracy since the Civil War. And I was kind of going through that stuff. I said I was going to tie it into the hashtag five white guys. There's this bizarre corporatist caucus in the Democratic Party that is leading the charge against Nancy Pelosi. And they are functionally in collusion with the Republican Party in many regards because their strings are being pulled by the same puppeteers, which is the billionaire class and the big corporations. We were going through line by line how the Republican Party is the most destructive force to democracy in the United States right now and how it got here starting with Nixon's Southern strategy and then Reagan's attack on working class people and his elevation of very, very wealthy people, cutting their taxes, exploding their wealth, leading to this huge wealth gap in the United States, which is now, we're now to the point where about 80% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Half of Americans can't survive a thousand dollar debt, you know, if a car breaks down or somebody gets sick or something. And 40% of Americans can't sustain a $400 debt which is very much not the way it was in America back, you know, even 30, 40 years before Reagan and how they're using, you know, race and they're using dividing us and they're using fake news. I mean, literally lies on Fox News and right wing hate radio, how they're using all these things to distract us from what's actually going on, which is the steady dismantling, not just of the middle class, but of democracy itself. And we've been talking about that. I know I've got a whole board full of calls, people who want to weigh in on that. And, you know, we will continue. But there's another piece to this. That was all about the Republican Party. There's something happening in the Democratic Party as well. And the challenge to Nancy Pelosi right now, I think, is emblematic of this. And it's something that, you know, we need as Democrats, we need to be having a conversation about there was a meeting over the last week. It was called Opportunity 2020. It was put together by Third Way, which is the most recent reinvention of the so-called Democratic Party think tanks that are devoted. I mean, it's not part of the Democratic Party. It's to reach out to Democrats of Democrats who want to take large amounts of corporate money and who want to grow up to be you know, rich corporate executives when they leave office or consultants or lobbyists or whatever. I mean, this is the corporate wing of the Democratic Party. And the good news is they're actually decreasing. They're a majority in the party right now, but just by a whisker, and they are decreasing, whereas they owned the party just six, eight years ago. So they had this meeting that was organized by the Third Way, as I said, which is the corporatist wing of the party. And this multi-multi-millionaire and a billionaire, Winston Fisher, billionaire real estate developer, he co-hosted it and spoke twice at this meeting, proving that, you know, this part of the Democratic Party is not about, you know, taking on the, the wealthy and having them pay their fair share. It's, it's, in fact, it's about the opposite. Tim Ryan, the congressman from Ohio, I've, I've met Tim. He seems like a nice enough guy. He meditates, you know, but that doesn't mean that he's like progressive. In fact, he was at the meeting. He's one of these corporate Democrats. Uh, Tim Ryan of Ohio. And he said, you're not going to make me hate somebody just because they're rich. I want to be rich. And everybody laughed in the crowd, right? So this third way thing, there's an article about this over at readersupportednews.org uh, titled Sanders wing of the party terrifies moderate Dems. Here's how they plan to stop it. So they think that, you know, progressive programs are just this is silly stuff. This is socialism. We need to, you know, quack, quack, quack. I, I read the entire article and I didn't see a single thing that this wing, this corporate wing of the Democratic Party actually says they're in favor of, right? They're literally not one policy. We know what they're opposed to. They're opposed to Medicare for all. They're opposed to expanding Social Security. They're opposed to massive infrastructure building and a green new jobs deal. Uh, they're opposed to any efforts to regulate pharma or the health insurance industry. But I have no idea what they're in favor of. So... Then you step over from that to these Democrats who are trying to take on Nancy Pelosi. Turns out it's the same people. The news media is talking about, oh, the left wants to take on Nancy Pelosi. No, the left doesn't want to take on Nancy Pelosi. The left loves Nancy Pelosi. You know, she may not be with me on Medicare for all. And I was at a dinner Friday night that she spoke at and she went through the Democratic agenda and she said, you know, we need to be sure that everybody has health insurance. Well, that's different from Medicare for all. And I, she was choosing her words very carefully. But she's the leader of the entire party. 
and her job is to get things done that can get things done. But if she were replaced with Steny Hoyer, the number two, Steny Hoyer is like right in the middle of this corporatist thing. But this movement, the anti-Pelosi insurgency, Bill Boyarsky has a great piece over at truthdig.org about this. And he says, you know, if you look at the people who are opposing Pelosi, quote, its leaders have no discernible ideology at all, end quote, which is what I'm saying about the third way, right? He said, this isn't a movement, it's a cabal, and it's orchestrated by this hashtag five white guys. And it's literally five white guys. These five Democratic congressmen who have an enormous amount of corporate money behind them. The leader of this contingent is Seth Moulton. I mean, tell me any core belief that Seth Moulton has. I can't find it. He was recruited to run for Congress by this new politics group. The new politics group, by the way, brought us Republican Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, who blamed Obama and Hillary Clinton for the rise of ISIS instead of pointing out it was the war in Iraq. Moulton, by the way, backed the war in Iraq. And Seth Moulton came out of the same group, right? They raised the money to put him in Congress. He has taken $1,723,870 from the investor class, Seth Moulton has, from just that part of the investor class that comprises the financial, insurance, and real estate sectors. It's the so-called fire sector. He also got $160,000 from pharma. Three others of the five white guys are Colorado's El Pearl, uh, Ed Perlmutter, who has taken... $4,082,803 from just these three industries, the fire industries. Oregon's Kurt Schrader, who is the most, quote, conservative centrist, end quote, Democrat from the Oregon delegation in the House of Representatives. He represents parts of the southern parts of Portland and down into the areas that are more rural. And, you know, that's where very, very wealthy people live down there. And he received, Kurt Schrader received 987000 zero five zero dollars from those three sectors and then uh, bill foster from illinois congressman from illinois another democrat he's received two million seven hundred forty seven thousand nine hundred sixty nine dollars from the fire sector again none of these guys have discernible ideologies other than let's do what's good for rich people in that regard i'd say that they're they're with republicans in fact for this crowd these people who i just named they have taken positions that are consistent with solving problems means, quote, cuts to Social Security and Medicare and an unwarranted obsession with the federal deficit that always just accidentally, mind you, winds up helping corporatists in the billionaire class. Seth Moulton says, I place country over party. Right. The other part of the anti-Pelosi campaign that's not being organized by the five white guys is being organized by this so-called No Labels and Problem Solver Caucus. And what they're all about, the No Labels crowd, is all about you know, throwing their campaign cash behind the anti-Pelosi effort. Quoting from this article that I'm sharing with you, they see this as an opportunity to weaken the Democrats' newfound power in the House of Representatives. That's especially urgent for the big money crowd at a time when nearly half of successful new candidates ran on Medicare for All and more than 100 House Democrats have joined the Expand Social Security Caucus. So they're pushing Nancy Pelosi, right? There's no labels crowd. And these are all echoes of the thing that was put together back in 1992. You know, the new Democrats, the, the new labor, you know, Tony Blair, Bill Clinton, and all this kind of stuff. This is the remnant of that. And they are pushing Nancy Pelosi to pass a law that says that if you want to raise taxes on the bottom 80% of Americans, you have to have a supermajority in Congress to do it. It's like a filibuster in the House of Representatives. Why would they do that? To stop Medicare for all. It's real simple. Basically, it would give the Republicans veto power over genuinely progressive legislation. And if the Seth Moulton Ryan gang gets away with this, boy, this is really going to damage the Democratic Party. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how to say it beyond that. It's going to damage the Democratic Party. So I'm very concerned. As I said, I just ran about how the Republican Party is a threat to democracy. The five guys crowd also 
represents a risk to the Democratic Party. This is why Democrats were losing elections, because they were embracing the, the positions that these hashtag five white guys are proposing, which is, you know, more money for corporate, lower taxes, so-called fiscal conservatism, which is code for take welfare away from people. And for white racists, it's code for take welfare away from black people. So really our efforts, Democrats' efforts, I'm talking about real Democrats, Democrats who support, you know, what's actually the actual positions, the actual posture of the American people. You know, 76% of Americans want higher taxes on the wealthy. 70% of Americans want Medicare for all. 59% of Americans want a $15 minimum wage. 60% of Americans want expand tuition-free college. 69% of the public opposes overturning Roe v. Wade. 94% of the public wants an equal rights amendment. 65% wants progressive criminal justice reform. 59% wants stricter environmental regulations. And more than half want stricter gun regulations. All of these things are opposed by the five white guys crowd by this so-called centrist group. This is destructive to the Democratic Party. I've never endorsed a weight loss product before Riduzone. Why Riduzone? I've seen firsthand how well it worked for my wife. With the wedding coming up, Louise wanted to lose a little weight. She read about university research and how one molecule helps regulate appetite. Riduzone is designed to boost levels of that one molecule along with your metabolism so you stop craving the wrong foods and you burn calories faster. Once her appetite and cravings were under control, she said losing weight was easy. She has more energy on her hikes and she looks amazing. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription FDA accepted Riduzone. While supplies last, use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off plus free shipping. Go to tryriduzone.com. That's T-R-Y-Try. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. Try Riduzone.com. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off, plus free shipping. Try Riduzone.com. That's T-R-Y, try, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. Try Riduzone.com. Promo code TOM. James Risen is on the line with us, the journalist with The Intercept, formerly The New York Times, The L.A. Times, an author. He also serves as First Looks Media Press Freedom Defense Fund, TheIntercept.com, the website. You can tweet him at Jim Risen. Jim, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. You have been quoted as suggesting that Trump's attacks on the free press are happening in a way that we, I think I'm quoting you accurately, in a way we haven't seen in modern American history. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's funny, you know, how, as, as you know, you know, whatever you say publicly gets used by the other side. As, <laughs> and so, you know, for years and years, uh, the Obama administration, I was critical of them on press freedom issues because uh, they tried to put me in jail. <laughs> for two years, <laughs> in yeah. Investigation, yeah. And so suddenly, uh, you know, conservatives thought, oh, that must mean he's uh thinks trump is better and i don't know where anybody got that idea but anyway um i think donald trump is the most corrosive uh influence and effect on american media and press ever i mean he is trying to use dictatorial tactics for uh to destroy the credibility of the american press in a way that no other president has ever tried to do and it's it. He's not using. I mean, it's 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 odd because it's not really using the legal system in the same way. You know, it, I mean, he has used leak leak investigations, but the main effect he's using is is this uh, going to his supporters and attacking individual reporters and individual news organizations and the press in general. And just basically saying they're the enemy of the people and using uh, autocratic and dictatorial language to try to completely destroy the standing of the press in America. Yeah, it was literally the phrase Stalin used. Yeah. yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah. And you see the reaction among his supporters. Yeah. I mean, Anybody who tries to deny that there's a direct connection between what he says and does versus, you know, people who attack uh, reporters or, you know, send bombs to CNN. Yep. Um, I mean, it, it's it's a direct 
correlation, direct relationship. So, Jim, the, George Lakoff, you know, who wrote Don't Think of an Elephant and, and uh, you know, brilliant linguist um, and, you know, sort of the Frank Luntz of the left, has suggested that whenever the press reports on Trump, they should do it using what he calls a truth sandwich. And that is the bologna between two layers of bread, right? And then the bread's the truth. <laughs> and so right. you start, so, so Trump says something outrageous, you know, uh, forest fires are caused by not raking the forest. So they start out right. by saying, forest fires in California are being fueled by climate change and, and you know, tinder-like conditions and have nothing mm -hmm. to do with grooming the forest. But here's what Donald Trump right. said, quack, 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 quack. And then they come back and they repeat again the truth. Yeah, and, yeah and I know. That's, it drives me nuts the way the, the White House press corps deals with Trump. Because like you're saying, what I don't think that, you know, I've been a reporter for a long time. And I, I, what I don't think the press corps at the White House understands is that they're, when they say, Trump said this today, and then three paragraphs later they say, but it's not really true. It's already it's stuck. Echo chamber for Trump. Yeah, it's already you're, stuck in people's heads. You're getting his message out, and I think to me the answer is to start ignoring him completely. Yeah. And I, what I would like to see is, you know, no one go to the White House and not cover him. But he's so good for I ratings, and these. I mean, remember, remember what uh, the the head of uh, CBS News, uh, Les Moonves, said. You know. Yeah, 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 of course. Well, that is the answer. I mean, it's a commercial business. Right. And so that's the, that's the sad thing, and they don't want to admit that at this point. Yeah. But yeah. I think the, the reporters who cover the, the White House, yeah. here's a dirty secret. As someone who was in the Washington press corps for almost 30 years, is that the real hardworking reporters in Washington, investigative reporters, never, ever want to be assigned to cover the White House. Among reporters, real hardworking reporters, it's considered a terrible job. Huh. And it's only people who love to get on TV who want to do that job. Oh, thus Jim Acosta being called a showboater. What's the solution to this, other than ignoring Trump, which the media is not going to do? Well, I think, you, you know, the problem is the press, the White House press corps is way too reactive. And they wait at that stupid press briefing room for somebody to tell them something every day rather than go out and do more in-depth reporting. That's what I would like so to it's see. So it's Yeah, actually go and report what the White House is doing and not wait around for them to tell you. There you go. Jim Risen, uh, you know, one of the great journalists of our time and formerly with The New York Times, The LA Times. Now he writes for The Intercept, theintercept.com. You can tweet him at Jim Risen. Jim, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks again for having me. It's, it's always great talking with you. I really appreciate it. And, and what an sure. extraordinary career you've had. Tom Harbin here with you. Let's check in with uh, Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. On the line with us is uh, the chief foreign correspondent for Talk Media News, Luke Vargas, joining us from New York. You can follow Luke on Twitter at The Courier, and I do follow him. Luke, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tom. So a uh, federal judge is blowing up Trump's asylum rule. What was Trump's asylum rule in the first place, in clear, simple English? And yep. why was it blocked? And what does this mean going forward? Is this, is this something that Trump is going to relish? Because, hey, it's going to get it to the Supreme Court where Kavanaugh and, and his four right-wing buddies can push this through? Or is this actually a defeat for Trump? I think this is, is more of a defeat for Trump than some of his recent or his administration's losses in court recently, because what's being really um, this what, what the judge is blocking here is is Trump's power to to exercise this kind of rulemaking on asylum, as opposed to what we've identified in a number of sort of Trump administration legal failures, which is that their process is just flawed and they need to go back to the drawing board and figure out a better way to justify what they're doing. So November 9th, President Trump uh, issues this declaration. He invokes national security powers in order to do it. And he says, look, you know, we're, we're only going to instruct our border uh, officials to process asylum claims if you present yourself at a proper port of entry to the United States. Right. I did a piece on this the day it came out. I interviewed one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit, as well as some human rights officials. And they said, with, with, in no uncertain terms, that US code, or 8 U.S. Code 1158 
states very clearly this is a you know a law passed by Congress that says you can present yourself at either a formal border crossing or an informal place between the borders. And if you present yourself for asylum there, you have to have that uh, claim taken seriously. And then the U.S. in 1967 signs on to the Refugee Protocol, which says basically the exact same thing in an international legal context. And what the judge said today is, look, his quote was, whatever the scope of the president's uh, powers here, he may not rewrite the immigration laws uh, to, to impose a condition that Congress has expressly forbidden, end quote. I mean, it's very clear here, hmm. U.S. and international law, it disagrees with the president here. Um, right. How does he spin that? It's, that's up, up to him. And I would guess that, uh, you know, we, we will continue to see immigration sort of dip down as the uh, issue of the day. I mean, we've yeah. already seen reports over the last 24 hours this border deployment might start to end in the next few days or weeks. I, I think this is a campaign issue, and we're not in a campaign right now. Yeah, and so he's going to dismiss this as a, as a Democrat judge or a Democratic judge or a Hillary right. Clinton-loving judge, and that'll be the end Oh, of yeah, that. San Francisco court, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, was, yeah, in Ninth Circuit. I wanted to get to the Mohammed bin Salman. This is yeah. fascinating. I've been watching this. You know, this yep. guy kidnapped a whole bunch of billionaires in his own country and tortured mm -hmm. one of them to death, apparently, and a number of others, and took a bunch of their money and put it in his own pot. I saw this piece in the New York Times this morning about the line of yep. secession. They want the, the king's brother to step up when the king dies. He's 74 right now. The king is older than he is and in poor health. And they want him to step in and, you know, which will change the line of secession so that Mohammed bin Salman would be pushed out of the way. Is that because of the Khashoggi murder, or is that because he's done so many other things to basically piss off members of the royal family? Well, the thinking, the, the crux of these pieces in the Times and, and also in Reuters was that this was due to the Khashoggi. Other stuff had royal parts of the family and the sort of political landscape in Saudi Arabia. As you mentioned, the tension of all these members of the royal family last year sort of taking their wealth and making them say that they were sort of traitorous to the state. That certainly alienated some and created factions within Saudi Arabia that are not aligned with the current crown prince. But it was the Khashoggi bit that people thought went too far. But that said, you know, I talked to two experts this morning who said, look, let's pay close attention to what President Trump says about this later today. We think that it's very unlikely there is going to be any risk to Mohammed bin Salman's political future. But if Trump throws him under the bus, that would cause shockwaves in Saudi Trump Arabia. Trump did not do that you've today. Talked, you've talked about this statement in which yeah. Trump basically committed himself to Mohammed bin Salman in America, really, to, to Saudi yeah. Arabia's future. I think that's because bin Salman's good buddies with the UAE, and the UAE just gave Jared Kushner, what, a billion dollars to bail him out on 666 Fifth Avenue? Do I have that right, uh, Luke? Yeah, and bin Salman might be Kushner's only friend. Yeah. <laughs> He's cutting his, his yeah. son-in-law right yeah. here. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, and, and nobody seems to be talking about the whole financial piece of this. It's incredible. Luke Vargas, you can follow him on Twitter at The Courier. Thanks, Luke. Thank you. I've been using the Muse EEG neurofeedback headband. I'm not sure that's exactly what they call it, but the website is choosemuse.com. -E it's a little headband you put on, um, just sets over your ears, sort of like a pair of glasses, only it goes across the forehead, and it actually reads your brain waves, your EEG, and feeds it back to you through a free app on your, on your smartphone into your earphones, into your, into your ears, as the sounds of weather. And as your brain gets more agitated, the weather gets louder. And as your brain gets calmer and more peaceful and more meditative, the weather gets softer and the waves get softer. And you start hearing little birds when you're having really cool brainwave activity that's associated with the way that good meditators do it. It's a meditation instruction tool. And meditation is such an incredible thing. It, it you know helps concentration, focus, lowers blood pressure. I've been using this for about four or five months now. And I have noticed in my daily writing, because I've, I've got a 10-book contract right now, and I'm writing so much every single day. I used, to, I used to sit down to write and say, okay, I'm going to write for an hour. And half of that hour was spent with distractions. I'd think of this and think of that. And, oh, I need to check my email. Oh, i got to do this. And, and I would constantly distract myself and then eventually come back to it. Since I've started using the Muse, now when these distractions pop up, just like they do in my meditation, I've learned how to, just like in my meditation, say, oh, that's a distraction. I'll let go of that. I'll come back to that later. I'm going to get back to writing. And now, instead of getting 30 minutes worth of work done in an hour of sitting and writing, I'm getting 50 or 60 minutes of work done in an hour of sitting and writing. It's really extraordinary. The, you can learn all about it at choosemuse, M-U-S-E, 
choosemuse.com. And if you order using the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get $30 off. So check it out. It's great. Choosemuse.com. Kyle Harvin here with you. Boy, a lot on the table. Bernie Sanders and Ro Khanna. Bernie in the Senate and Ro Khanna in the House. And, and if, you, if you've listened to this program for years, you know both these people quite well. Have introduced legislation. Today, they're introducing legislation that would say if you are a pharmaceutical company and you have a patented drug, in other words, you control the exclusive right to manufacture that drug because of the patent, and you are selling that drug at a retail price that is higher than the median price of that drug in six other countries, Canada, the United Kingdom, Germany, France, and Japan. So they average those all out or they, or they find the median for all of those. If you're selling that drug at higher than that median price, then you cannot block a generic manufacturer from manufacturing that drug right now and selling it in competition with you. This is absolutely brilliant. Uh, Bernie says no other country allows pharmaceutical companies to charge any price they want for any reason they want. He said the greed of the prescription drug industry is literally killing Americans and it's got to stop. Spot on. It's the, it's the, the greed. Remember Ted Kennedy on the floor of the Senate? This had to do with the minimum wage, but he just went off on this. $40 billion in tax breaks for corporations, $36 billion in tax breaks for small businesses, increase in productivity, 42% over the last 10 years. But do you think there's any increase in the minimum wage? No. What is the price? We ask the other side. What is the price that you want from these working men and women? What cost? How much more do we have to give to the private sector and the business. How many billion dollars more are you asking, are you requiring? When does the greed stop? Ted Kennedy. And Bernie now saying essentially the same thing. And, and God bless him. Media Matters is pointing out how Fox so-called news is covering the Ivanka Trump email scandal. Now, Ivanka Trump was doing government business with a private account and we don't know the uh, domain of that account, but it was a private account that was running on a commercial server. That, that we know for sure, whether it was Google's server or whether it was Yahoo's server or whether it was Microsoft's server. It was on a public, it was on the server of a, of a corporation. It might have even been a small company that was offering private services. The whole reason why Hillary Clinton had a private server in, installed in her home was because when, you're in, when your email is on a corporate server, People inside that corporation can read your email, you know, the, tech, the techies. And, and presumably the executives could ask the techies to read your email to them or share it with them. So it's not safe. So her server actually was, you know, safe. It was never breached. We know that. She thought she was doing the right thing and she thought she was going to have a, a, a secure source. But Ivanka Trump, she put it on a corporate server, which means it could have been easily hacked you wouldn't even need to hack. You could just look at it, right? I mean, if you were in that corporation. But weirdly, the way that Fox is dealing with it is, well, she didn't have a server in her basement, so everything's fine. Isn't that weird? What it, what it really says, and, and Barack Obama pointed this out maybe a month and a half ago. He said they didn't care about Hillary Clinton's emails. If they did, they'd be up in arms right now that the Chinese are listening to Donald Trump's insecure phone. He will not give up his Android phone that he tweets on and that he talks to Sean Hannity on every night, he will not give that up for a government phone that's secure. So the Chinese and the Russians we know right now are routinely listening in on Donald Trump's phone conversations. And they've been trying for two years now to get him to stop doing this and he won't. You know, so all these chants of lock her up and all these congressional investigations and James Comey coming out and holding press con it was all BS. What the Republicans know is that you pick a hill on which you're willing to die. You pick a fight, you pick a battle that is so large that it helps you win the war. And it really doesn't matter what it is. You turn it into something. 
This is what they did with Bill Clinton. They went from Whitewater to Travelgate to Rose Law Firm Gate to, you know, all the women that ended up with Monica Lewinsky Gate, whatever it was. And they just pounded on it and pounded on it and pounded on it. They didn't care. Every single Republican who was prosecuting Bill Clinton was having an affair at the time they were doing it. From Newt Gingrich to Bob Barr down in Georgia to Livingston. I mean, every single one of them was having an affair at the time they were prosecuting. They didn't care. But you pick one thing. The Democrats need to figure this out. And they need to pick one or two things that have been happening that, you know, crimes of Trump's or of the GOP and just hammer the bejesus out of it. But that's what they did. They did that. You know, that's what they did with John Kerry. Oh, he's not really a war hero. That's what they did with Al Gore. Oh, he didn't really invent the Internet. That's I mean, they pick one thing and they turn it into this giant mushroom cloud of an issue. And the Democrats would rather say, well, hey, here's 20 different policy things that would make America a much better place to live. Well, that's a nice conversation. We used to have those kind of conversations in the 1950s. But the Republican Party is not what it was. The Republican Party has instead become a cult, cult of personality and a, a bunch of bizarre cult followers. Tom Harbin here with you and David in Cincinnati. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, the piece that you did about uh, Nancy Pelosi was just spot on. And the five men who are going against her, they are clueless. And like no, no, they're, they're very clued in. They know if they do what these wealthy billionaires who are sponsoring them uh, want them to do, that their nest will be well feathered for the rest of their lives. Yes, on that end. But in terms of like the backlash that they're going to get and they may be primary, they are clueless to that. I am. I am hopeful oh, that that's how it plays out, David. You, you know, uh, like like here in Ohio, I, I'm fabricated in terms of like the, the outcomes. One, uh, DeWine as governor, I just didn't see it. I mean, he, he was a governor. He was the attorney general. Yeah. For several shootings. Well, this is this of, is voter suppression, David. I mean, the Supreme Court told Ohio that they can engage in voter suppression, purging people off the voting rolls. Uh, you know, if they haven't voted in two elections and then you take one other step to, you know, uh, then you can purge them. And, and you know, it's metastasizing all of our red states. I wrote an article about it that's on Alternate right now, alternate.org, yes. and just laying it all out. I, I don't think that, you know, in an honest election that the Republican would have won in Ohio, especially with Sherrod Brown winning by, what, seven, eight, nine points, something like that? Yes, yes. And see, the other part about it, again, uh, the, the attorney general is, is going to be the governor, DeWine, right. and, and, and then uh, uh, John Hostad, who was the suppression, who was the secretary of state, who brought about all of this, this voter suppression, he's going to now be the lieutenant governor. <laughs> oh, geez. So go, yeah, so go figure. And, but uh, some of us in, in, in the Cincinnati area are forming uh, groups of training, and cadres where we are uh, sharing with people, this is what you need to vote for. These are the things you need to be looking for. This is how you support this judge. This, this is how you support this school board member because... Oh, that's great. Um, it's, it's, it's on the ground. It's on the ground because um, listening to the media uh, and, 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 and look... And, and I will say this. I mean, I've been I, I'm trying to get you a show for a couple of weeks. Kudos to you, Tom, because... Rachel Maddow is doing a piece on LBJ, Nixon. Yeah, Nixon's Nixon. treason. Yeah. Yes, yes. And you were talking about this two years ago. I've been talking about and this 15 she, years ago, David. Okay. I, I, I stand corrected. I stand corrected. But Rachel, and, and bless her heart, she's now doing a piece on it on block. Yeah, yeah. And it's called The Bag Man. Yeah. And I and I said I said Tom was way ahead of yeah. Rachel. Well, and NBC is now or MSNBC, and I, I'm assuming Na Rachel's going to be narrating this or has to do with it. They're going to also do an hour-long special. I think it's Sunday night or maybe it was last Sunday. Yes. Um, specifically about how Nixon committed treason to become president. So I mean, it's well, I'm it so glad to see that this is out there anyway. Yeah, and and it goes to show you that we listen to CNN, MSNBC. They are far, far better than Fox and some of the others, but they still are behind. Porting that they did on Hillary, full disclosure, I supported Bernie. However, I'm a few years older than you, uh, Tom. Our birthday's about a week apart. Mine's the 14th. I think, huh? what's yours, the 7th? Yeah, May 7th, yeah. yeah and, and, I, and I'm from Detroit, so I'm, I'm a Michigan person, and I uh -huh. go blue. 
But the thing is, is that in terms of like looking at the data for Hillary, the three states that that she lost, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Right. If one just looks at what happened in Michigan, 77,000 votes were thrown out of the city of Detroit alone. Yep. 77,000. And Trump won by and what, 11,000 in Michigan, something like that, 14,000? Yes. yes, yes. And the same thing happened in both uh, Milwaukee County and outside of Philadelphia. Right. I think what happened is that people said, oh, no, 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 no. They woke up in those three states and they went out in droves and they, they changed the, the dynamics, okay? All three states now have Democratic governors. Uh, things are improving in the House and the Senate. So I say all this to say that in terms of like these five guys who are out here doing this nonsense, okay, against Nancy, because they want to get paid. Uh, we need to go back and look at what did Nancy do with President Obama the first 75 days him being in office. They got a hell of a lot done. If anybody can stop that, if anybody can stop that, they need to, they can replace us. Amen. Amen. David, we're we're out of time here, Uh, but thank you so much for the call. It's great to hear from you. And another Michigander uh, to boot. It's a bonus. We'll be back tomorrow with more of, uh, you know, what's really going on in the United States and the world. What you may not hear anywhere else, or you may, but maybe you don't have all the details. I mean, I'm really committed to having you be as well-informed as you possibly can be, because that's what it takes for a democracy to work. We have to get out there. We have to get active. So please do so. Tag, you're it. I'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 